Christian Smith is a postdoctoral scholar in sociology at the University of California, Merced, and holds a PhD in the same from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. His areas of research interest include inequality, mobility, and the sociology of education. In this episode, we discuss his paper, In the Footsteps of Siblings, College Attendance, Disparities, and the Intragenerational Transmission of Educational Advantage. Hi, Christian, and welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today, and I'm very excited to know about you and about the work you've been doing. Um, so to get us started, I'd like to know a little bit about yourself, about your academic background, and more specifically about your interest in stratification, mobility, and um, the sociology of family as areas of research that you've looked into. Yeah, um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for, for having me on. Um, so I... I'm um, currently a postdoctoral scholar at the University of California, Merced. Prior to that, I was teaching at Berea College um, for a year. And then prior to that, I was doing a PhD at the University of Wisconsin-Madison um, in sociology. So I, um, I focus primarily on stratification and inequality, like you mentioned, um, as applied to the sociology of education, most typically looking at the sociology of higher education. A lot of my research is about understanding the, the structural factors that cause um, socioeconomically advantaged individuals to attend college, complete college, and have advantageous opportunities while they are in college, um, while socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals often don't have those favorable outcomes um, in higher education. Um, and so um, that's, that's the bird's eye view of, of the research I conduct. Um, and my motivation for doing that research is, is largely a factor of, you know, I think that this is an actual moral stain on the U.S., which is where I do all of my research on. Um, it's a moral stain on the U.S. that socioeconomic origins predict socioeconomic destinations so well. Not perfectly by any means. Um, I don't want to imply that, but um, um, but really quite well. And so there, there's an unfairness to that. And so that is part of what motivates me to do that research. Um, and then additionally, uh, there there are practical and policy implications to uh, wide socioeconomic inequality in in higher education. The, the low college attendance and completion rates of socioeconomically disadvantaged individuals really hurts everyone um, because everyone benefits when more people go to college um, and when more people graduate from college. You know, there's more tax revenue, there's more uh, economic stimulation, there's, there's more uh, uh, positive health outcomes and therefore less public health expenditures. Um, so even just 
uh, going beyond the individual benefits that come to people as as individuals, there are there are broader public benefits that come as well. Um, and then I, of course, bring some some personal background into my interest in the topic as well. Um, uh, in addition to those those higher level motivations. For sure, right? You know, I think something which I personally found really interesting is this idea of how siblings themselves, right, in, in family structures can actually influence where their other like sibling, you know, goes to college. And I think that's interesting because the way that I always typically saw it is that, you know, you have your parents, you have your uncles, your aunts, you know, you have people who've actually gone through the experience who have way more experience in that sense, right? So in that sense, I think I just like know a little bit, you know, I think more broadly around why you've chosen to look at the effects that siblings have on, you know, on like how they, on like their own siblings, right? You know, as in, you know, like who goes to college and like where they go to college. And yes, I just like a broad idea of, you know, of like why you've, you know, like chosen to look at inter-sibling sort of, you know, like relations and, and the impacts in that sense. Absolutely. So the paper that I have where I've looked at inter-sibling effects so siblings' effects on one one another. It was a, a study that I did as part of my dissertation, and it's now um, an article in in the journal Socius. And part of what motivated me to to ask whether when your sibling goes to college, that increases the probability that you yourself go to college was the fact that there's a lot of attention given to intergenerational exchange of the intergenerational exchange of educational advantage so how how parents influence their their children's educational attainment um and and more and more we're getting studies about how grandparents and even great grandparents can influence one's educational attainment. So lots of focus, rightly, on, on intergenerational processes whereby educational advantage flows from one generation to the next. And there's less out there about intragenerational flow of, of educational advantage. So how do siblings, for example, influence one another? Is, is there also this this exchange going on where an advantaged sibling, uh, an educationally advantaged sibling can deposit some of that advantage um, toward their sibling or vice versa. And so I saw an opportunity there for the discipline of sociology to learn more about family processes of educational production that we were missing when we were largely focusing on intergenerational processes, which again, I think deserve a lot of attention. And so I don't want to imply that there's too much research about intergenerational reproduction of educational advantage, but but I think we can supplement that with some sibling to sibling analyses. And so that that got me interested in answering that question. Right, and, um, and of course, you know, I think whenever we look at the research, right, whenever we start, you know, looking at data and, you know, you know, I think like whether that's quantitative data or qualitative, um, right? I think one way for us to make sense of it is, of course, looking at theories. And I know that you've used the social capital theory. So can you tell us a little bit about what the theory says and how really it applies to your research? Absolutely. 
And I'm going to preface it by saying that, you know, with the data I had available to me, I could not test whether this theorized mechanism was actually what was driving the results. So it's purely speculative. So I just want to preface by saying that. But one mechanism I speculated for why sibling college attendance would improve the probability that oneself goes to college is social capital and in particular the information channels form of social capital. So to take a step back, social capital as conceptualized by Coleman is the constellation of between person relations that facilitate desired outcomes in one's life. And so it, it is analytically separate from, for example, economic capital, which is, is the money you have or the assets you have um, uh, that themselves bestow positive outcomes in your life. It's separate from cultural capital, which is the elite tastes and habits that you have that um, help you out in your life. So it's, it's analytically separate from these things, even though um, arguably there's some fungibility between them. So you can exchange one form of capital for another. Um, and, and so I, now I'm just giving a broad overview of what capital means. Um, so I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but, um, but I think it's important to, to give that context there. Um, so that's what social capital is broadly. And, and what Coleman says is that one important form of social capital is information channels between people. So if you have ties with other human beings that can provide you helpful information, that is going to help you out in your life. That's basically the crux of it. We sociologists tend to talk about it in really fancy language, but that's really that's that's the deal when we're talking about information channels is if you know people who know stuff that's good for you and so with that in mind you can imagine that if you have a sibling who has gone to college they're going to have beneficial information to relay to you about college that could be information about the costs of college. There's evidence that adolescents in the US really dramatically overestimate how much it costs to go to college, which is a big problem. That's a big problem if people are under, sorry, overestimating how much it costs to go to college, because that's gonna dissuade them from going because they think it's going to be financially infeasible for them. Um, and so maybe a sibling can help assuage some of those concerns. It can be information about how to acquire funding for college, for example, federal financial aid. It can be information about what is required in order to be accepted into college. Some young people might have uh, inflated views of um, the credentials necessary to actually attend college. And um, and so if you have a sibling who's gone through that whole process, they might um, be able to assuage some of those concerns. Um, and then also information about, you know, what it's like, especially if we're talking about would-be first-generation college students 
So, so students who don't have college educated parents, they might just not really know what it's like to be in college. Um, and maybe they had college educated teachers or a college educated primary physician, um, these sort of weak ties, but a sibling tends to be a really strong tie. And that's not just an intuitive argument I'm making, you know, there's empirical evidence that siblings really are some of the most important people in individuals' lives. And so if you have a strong tie that has this information, you're more likely to actually get that information from them and maybe more likely to trust it as well. And so to that point, I want to uh, introduce this other dimension to the paper, which is uh, effect heterogeneity um, essentially is the effect of college attendance, sorry, is the effect of sibling college attendance on one's own college attendance greater for people without college educated parents than it is for people with college educated parents. And so I hypothesize that it would be, you know, that, that, that this effect would be most pronounced among would be first generation college students. And the results very much support that hypothesis. Um, and so going back to this idea of information channels, the findings are consistent with the social capital information channel theory for what's going on here. Because if you already have your parents to give you a lot of the information that I was just talking about, then the information you're getting from your sibling might be sort of redundant with the information you can already get from your parents. It's not gonna be fully redundant, uh, especially if, as is true in most cases, the sibling has gone to college more recently. Um, so it's not gonna be fully redundant, which is consistent with the fact that there still is a very statistically significant effect among continuing generation college students, but it'll be more redundant. And so you're gonna get more bang for your buck from the sibling going to college if you, um, if your parents don't have college degrees, I speculate. Yeah, I think, you know, I'd really like to sort of tie into this, uh, you know, point you'd mentioned about how siblings tend to be a strong tie and, you know, and in that sense, especially a stronger tie as opposed to, you know, other maybe members of the family or friends or college counselors and so on and so forth, right? Because, I mean, you know, I would imagine that, you know, say I wanted to apply to a college. I mean, you know, my like first sort of go-to option would be to look at the college website. Then I'd want to maybe check out a counselor or somebody who, of course, has, you know, who I would imagine has a lot more information. And in that sense, I mean, of course, if I did have a sibling who went to that college, I would go and ask them about it, right? But I'm interested to know, right, like a little bit more as to what information can a sibling give me, which other people cannot, right? And this might be informal information, more formal information, right? So how exactly does having a sibling who's attended the said college really give me that edge that other students don't have, if, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question, Abba. Uh, my speculation is that it's less about what information the sibling can give you that other people can not, and more about what information the college-educated sibling will give you that other people will not <laughs> um, in practice. Um, um, and so you're just probably going to be chatting with your sibling more than you are with your 
your school counselor or your English teacher or your primary care physician or these other college educated people you know um there's just more opportunity for information exchange because again these relationships on average are so strong between siblings um and so um it's not that these other people don't have the information that the sibling doesn't have it's that it's less likely to make its way to you. Um, and again, there's a potential case to be made that you are less likely to give it weight if you hear it from someone that you're less close to as opposed to hearing it from um, your sibling. Um, and so, and again, this is mostly speculative. I mean, I'm drawing on evidence that we have about the the closeness of sibling relationships and about how information tends to flow between people, um, uh, etc. Um, but I can't definitively say that I have proof of about this going on or that this is the mechanism. Um, uh, so it is largely speculative. Um, but that is um, how I am thinking about it in my head. Yeah, does that answer your question? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, and I also think, right, that I mean, like, at least like the way I, I've seen it, right, is that like, we typically talk about going to college and not going to college as a binary. But I think in between there's, you know, quite a lot, right, like you have these different types of colleges and, and all of that and the different outcomes that happen after college that it gives you. So in that sense, I think, you know, like drawing from like, um, a lot of the research that you've done, do you think that you're more likely to go to a similar college or if, if not exactly the same college that your sibling has gone to or is it simply a matter of pursuing higher education at all? So I just like to know the different layers of, I guess, you know, to, to sort of applying for college and choosing, you know, like a college in, in that sense. Yeah, awesome question. I want to say, so, so there was a white paper disseminated shortly after I published my siblings paper and this this white paper it was written by several economists and they were looking at inter-sibling effects in education and the results definitely reinforced what I found um, uh, probably with even better internal validity than I was able to achieve, but maybe not quite as good of external validity as I was able to achieve, which made it a really great compliment to my study. Um, um, so right, there was that sort of replication there in terms of just college attendance generally. I think as well, and I wish I could remember, but I'm pretty sure the paper also found that there were inter-sibling effects in terms of college selectivity um, and in terms of, like you mentioned, the actual literal college that one attends. Um, um, so if, if your sibling attends college X, that makes you more likely to attend that college itself. Um, um, I am pretty sure that that was one of the findings of that paper. Um, and so um, that is what I would have expected even before seeing those results. Um, uh, but it, it appears that the evidence bears that out as well, which is really fascinating. Right. It, it, and it, it goes to this point about college 
attendance not exactly being a binary. Um, th there are richer dimensions to this as well. And we can debate all day long, and, and social scientists do, about how much it really matters where you go to college. Um, but that is a separate question to the to the narrow question of um, are there intersibling effects in terms of college destinations above and beyond just going to college at all? Um, I think the answer is yes. True, and um, and you know, I think to the point of choosing a college, right? I think, like to some extent, of course, it depends on you know. Uh, like the whole, you know, idea we have of the college itself. And, you know, if you've been to the campus, that's great. If you know faculty from there, if we have alumni from there, I think, of course, on one hand, you have the college. And then on the other hand, a very big thing that counselors and a lot of, you know, these adults, quote unquote, tell you is that, you know, the college should also be a good fit for you, right? So I think in that sense, we tend to reflect a lot upon, you know, like, like either we look at the clubs, the activities, the courses that they offer and all of that. And then we think, you know, like, does it align to me? Does it not? And I think in that sense, you know, like when you're speaking to a sibling, right, especially a sibling who's gone to that college, I think in that sense, um, I would just like to know, like, is it a bit of um, a stretch to say that maybe the younger siblings tend to uh, sort of aspire, you know, um, you know, like the things that the older sibling has done, you know, like do they like sort of see it as a template for like them to follow in that sense? Or is it just that, you know, like this person is, you know, like a mentor to me and and in that sense, you know, like they like give me, you know, like some like guidance in that sense. So I just like to know how much of um, themselves, the, you know, like the uh, like the younger sibling uh, sort of sees in the older sibling. And is that why, um, you know, they tend to be more influenced by them? Sure, yeah. So th there's some interesting qualitative evidence on this issue. Um, not as much as I would love to see, given that I'm just very interested in this this sibling relationships question. But, um, but there is a little bit. And so Catherine Davies, um, who's based in the UK, um, has done a lot of interviews with with young people about basically just how they view themselves, how, how trying to figure out how they talk about themselves, um, how they construct meaning out of, out of who they are. And a lot of what she's found is that young people really, when, when they are narrating their identities, they often frame it in comparison and contrast, comparison and or contrast to their siblings. So siblings play a big part in how people think about themselves um, based on this qualitative evidence. Um, and so I, I personally would love, I would love it um, if somebody got a grant <laughs> to do uh, to basically just scale up this this inductive study that um, that Catherine Davies very effectively conducted um, to have maybe some sort of survey where you you get a bigger sample and you're able to see how much this um, this finding generalizes. Um, I don't know exactly what that would look like, but I would I would love to see um, you know how much is this the case. Um, uh, in general, when we're looking at a bigger sample, um, are our young people by and large um, 
framing their themselves and their identities in relation to who their siblings are. Um, I that's that's something that's a study that I would love to see be be done. Uh, for sure, yeah, I think. I mean, it would be pretty cool, right? If we could sort of scale up the study and you know and look at maybe you know more areas as well, speak to more people and see if, you know, these findings and these patterns sort of replicate. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, for a second, I'd just like to sort of go back to the point on capital, right? And I think, as you mentioned as well, you know, social scientists and especially, you know, um, a lot of like these scholars, I think, you know, tend to speak about capital in pretty abstract terms and they use a lot of fancy language to describe it. But I think, you know, when we think about it, right, like there are a lot of tangible and non-tangible aspects to, you know, like this capital as well. I think one of um, um, of these aspects, I think, of course, is the access to information. But apart from that, I'd just like to know a little bit more about the different angles and aspects to capital and how this really, you know, um, applies to, you know, I think, applying to a college and eventually, you know, choosing a college to go to. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe to do with siblings, maybe to do with other people. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. 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 Great question. Um, so I think when it comes to the information channels dimension of social capital, that really applies, um, I think to, to any relationship one has, again, I would, I would suspect that it, it applies more, the stronger the tie is. Um, but, um, we, we have pretty direct evidence that, um, parents provide their children varying degrees of social capital and, and that that influences the educational outcomes of, of, of their children. Um, and, and so information coming from parents really has an impact um, on, on uh, individuals' educational attainment um, and and parents who have college degrees or in general who have more education um, are going to tend to have more information to share about um, the educational process. And so that's arguably this information channels division uh, dimension of social capital is potentially where we see the biggest inequalities across social class groups. That's again, just me speculating there. I don't know what the evidence is on that topic, but um, other dimensions of social capital, uh, for example, um, obligations, which is where you, you build up social capital by doing things for other people in in a given group, for example, a family or a neighborhood or, or a school or whatever it is. Um, and, and through doing that, this group of people is kind of expected or feels obligated to help each other out um, because that has just become the, the quid pro quo of that group of people. Um, and so if you um, have cultivated that in a group of people that you're in, um, then that's great because if you your car breaks down and you need someone to come pick you up you've got someone to help you out there or more pointedly if you need to write a college essay and you'd love for someone to read it and give you feedback you've got 
a stock of <laughs> obligations and expectations to move you forward there. Um, there's maybe less social class inequalities um, when it comes to that dimension, because people tend to form communities um, regardless, and maybe that's in their church, or maybe that's, again, their neighborhood or, or whatever it is. Um, and there probably still are some inequalities in, in this dimension of social capital, um, but I would guess it's less, less pronounced than the information channels version. But then another dimension of social capital is, is what's called um, norms, basically. And so if in, when we're talking about education, um, a, a, an adolescent whose family has very pro-educational norms is endowed with social capital because this family uh, just has these expectations that the student needs to complete their homework every night, the, the student needs to show up to school on time, the student needs to go to college after they finish high school. You know, there, there are just these norms that people in a given group of people, for, uh, uh, for example, a family, are just simply expected to do. That is just the social rules in that group. Um, and so if you are part of a group where the norm is to excel academically and go to college, then it's going to take a lot of friction for you to buck that trend. Um, and so in a, in a way it's helpful for you because um, you're probably just going to fall in line and follow those those pro-educational norms. Um, and there certainly, yeah, there certainly are social class inequalities when it comes to the, the pro-educational norms side of social capital as well. Very much so, yeah. And in fact, you know, I think I can also sort of, um, you know, think back on how, um, you know, and I mean, I'm just, you know, like drawing from like personal experience here, right? Which is that, you know, I would imagine, right, that after you've completed your college degree, you tend to typically have a positive impression of the college, right? I mean, you know, considering the fact that you've, you know, spent all this time there, you have memories there and all of that. So in that sense, I mean, I would at least imagine, you know, um, the elder sibling at least who's gone to the college to have, uh, you know, to be more of an advocate for the college rather than, you know, to say, don't go here, apply there instead, right? So do we see any of these exceptions at all or are they, you know, like anomalies here and there or, or is it that in most, in nearly all cases, we see siblings to be advocates for the said college and for higher education, like more generally? Yeah. Right, right. You know, I'm not sure um, that the methods that I was using in my study were designed to estimate an average effect. Um, so pooling over people in the full population, what is the average effect of having a sibling attend college? Um, and so the methods I, were, I was using were not designed to um, assess, you know, how many people are going to be hurt by a sibling going to college um, or other questions like that. Um, I would say, uh, I, I would guess that there certainly are some people whose college attendance probabilities drop due to their sibling going to college. And the scenario I'm imagining is your older sibling 
goes to college, they take out an exorbitant amount of loans, like way more than usual. They don't finish their degree. They're saddled with debt. And they don't have the means to pay off that debt because they're, they're less able to get a lucrative job on account of not having a college degree. And that's, then, then this older sibling feels lots of regret about having attended college um, um, and taking on all this debt. I could see that dampening um, the other siblings' desire to attend college. Um, based on the evidence, that is not the typical situation. Um, if that were the typical situation, then I, I don't think my estimates of the effect of sibling college attendance on one's own college attendance would have been so positive. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if there were a small but non-trivial number of people for whom that's the way the cookie crumbles. True, yeah. And in fact, um, you know, I mean, I think I should have asked you this question way more in advance, but, uh, you know, I think I'd like to know a little bit more about your methods of research, right? And the manner in which you, you know, like gathered the evidence and, make sense, and made sense of it and how exactly, you know, that led you to like the conclusions that, you know, like you've drawn or at least the inferences, you know, like that you've made from the said data. Sure. So um, the the data source that I drew on is called the High School Longitudinal Study of 2009. It is a national probability sample of individuals who were in ninth grade um, in 2009. And uh, ninth grade being the first year of high school in the US. Um, and, uh, or I should say the first year of secondary school, um, in the U S. Um, and those individuals are tracked longitudinally. Um, and I was interested in the sample of people who, um, had at least one sibling. Um, so I, I, didn't care about people who didn't have any siblings, they're not in my target population. Um, and so looking at people who have a sibling, um, and in this case, an older sibling, for reasons I can discuss if you'd like, but, but so I was researching to people who had at least one older sibling. And so again, I'm interested in whether having an older sibling who has attended college makes one on average more likely to attend college themselves. And so I could have just compared the college attendance rate of people with an older sibling who has attended college to the college attendance rate of people who have at least one older sibling, none of whom have attended college, and then called it a day. Whatever that difference in college attendance rates was, I could have said, there it is. That's my estimate of the effect of sibling college attendance on one's own college attendance. That would not have been advisable though, because there are many, many, many confounding factors that would cause a non-causal 
correlation between whether your sibling goes to college and whether you yourself go to college. And so um, you want to do something that uh, allows you to not be plagued by those confounding factors. What I did at the end of the day, basically what I did was control for a bunch of observed characteristics of the individuals in the sample. I used a, you know, a recent development in causal inference called inverse probability weighted regression adjustment that has this neat property where it's doubly robust. And so the estimator is consistent either if you properly specify the model of whether the sibling attends college or if you properly specify the model of whether the individual themselves attends college. So it's, you know, a recent development called inference, but at the end of the day, it's really just controlling for observed characteristics of the individual. In other words, individuals who appear similar based on what we know about them from the survey. Um, so two individuals that appear similar, one of whom has an older sibling who attended college, one of whom does not, is there a difference in their college attendance rates? Um, and I found that there was, of course, um, even when we're comparing people who look really similar based on what we observe about them. Um, and then because, uh, of course, there are issues with this methodology, um, since there could be unobserved confounders, you know, things that I was not able to control for. For example, I don't know anything about the grandparents of individuals in, in the sample. I don't know how wealthy the grandparents are. I don't know the educational attainment of the grandparents. Um, and that could definitely be affecting both whether the sibling attends college and whether the individual themselves attends college. So there's still almost definitely are confounding factors that I was not able to control for. But I did this sensitivity analysis that basically answers the question of, okay, how much confounding factors would there really need to be in order to completely invalidate the claim that there's an effect at all? And my conclusion from that sensitivity analysis is that there would have to be a really extraordinary amount of confounding going on above and beyond the pretty extensive list of things I was able to control for um, in order for there to be no effect at all. And so I don't at all believe, you know, for first generation college students, I estimated that the effect of sibling college attendance uh, was a 28 percentage point increase in the probability that the individual themselves attends college. I don't at all believe that the actual effect is that high. But <laughs> because the estimated effect is that high, that means that in order for the real effect to be zero, there would need to be so much residual confounding going on. Just what I consider an implausible amount of residual confounding. Um, and so that's a, a somewhat brief synopsis of the methods that I, that I used. Yeah, and I 
uh, you know, I think especially like your first and like your second generation sort of like college students, I think that's, you know, quite an important sort of, um, you know, factor to look at, right? Because of course, if you are, you know, if you are like the first person um, in your family, in that sense, right? Like, you know, like if you have an elder sibling who's also gone to college, I think like from at least the family, like they'd be, you know, like your first like point of coin um, of like contact in that sense, right? So I think in that sense, it, it definitely is um, significant. But yeah, you know, I think I'd just like to sort of zoom out a bit and know a little bit more about, you know, the context of, of like college goers in the USA as a whole, right? Because I mean, you know, like the USA, of course, is, you know, among like those countries in the world that, you know, is so well known, right? Like it brings in a lot of international students from all over, right? So I think, but on the other hand, of course, you have a lot of these disparities, you know, within like the said, you know, like population itself, you know, you have all of these people who actually don't attend college and, you know, um, and like work anyways, right? So I think in that sense, um, so, so to move um, a bit away from the you know, for my question of siblings itself, I just like to know a little bit about like the disparity in the USA itself. You know, like regarding like college, how many people go, how many don't go, and and why that's significant. You know, like for like your research, if it is, it's very significant for my research. Yeah. So um, the the disparities in in college attendance and completion across socioeconomic groups um, are really staggering. Um, in the U.S., as they are, I think, most places. Um, so, for example, based on the high school longitudinal study of 2009, so based on the data source that I use, the unconditional college attendance rate of those who have college-educated parents is about 85%. Um, and so that's, that's whether the, whether they have attended any college, whether it's a two-year college or a four-year college or whatever, um, any type of college within three years, uh, I think it's three years of when they would have been expected to graduate secondary school. So that's what I mean when I say college attendance, right? To be clear. Um, so for those who have college-educated parents, the, the unconditional college attendance rate is about 85%. For those who don't have college-educated parents, it's about 53%. And so really wide gap, really, really, really wide gap. And it's consistent. It's, it's something you find no matter what data source you're looking at, um, no matter what time period you're looking at, it, it's going to, you know, the exact gap is going to vary, but there's always a very staggering de degree of inequality between um, uh, people with and without college educated parents, as well as between people with higher versus lower family incomes. And so, so these, these socioeconomic disparities are really staggering. And I, again, am really driven by a desire to see those disparities shrink. Um, I really, you know, I, I, I like sociological theory. I like um, investigating these sort of high level theoretical questions about society and human behavior. But I, I would say even more than my 
interest in in those things. I'm interested in just seeing the world improve, and I would like my research to to help get us closer to that. And so, um, if I could just briefly take it back to the siblings paper, um, part of why I was interested in that that paper is because it actually it has practical implications. If it is the case that sibling college attendance has a sizable impact on whether um, the other siblings go to college, that means that we have been underestimating how beneficial college access interventions are because we are only looking at how those interventions influence the participants themselves. But if the if the interventions induce the participants to attend college, that's also going to induce some of their siblings to attend college. And that's especially true among first generation college students, both because the estimated impact of their going to college on their siblings is especially high and because those are the individuals who tend to have the most siblings. And so, so we have probably been underestimating uh, the overall benefit of, of these programs um, by only looking at participants, which of course, like there, there are practical limitations that make it difficult um, to, to bring siblings into the equation. But nevertheless, um, uh, to some degree, um, these interventions uh, are probably more beneficial than, than we tend to think of them as being. For sure, yeah, I think, you know, it's an often um, overlooked sort of aspect, right? Because, you know, when you have the more traditional sort of interventions and, you know, the traditional ways of, you know, going about like, you know, like whether or not you should apply for a college, I think, you know, I think like when we look at existing structures, I think, you know, to like think outside the box is something pretty new and to make, you know, a lot of these changes as well is something that maybe only happens with time. And yeah, I think, you know, and also like just sort of tap into the point that you'd mentioned of, you know, how, I mean, you know, we want to make this world a better place and you hope that, you know, like your research, you know, like gets to do that. Um, and yeah, you know, I think to sort of add on to that, right, I think that's also what makes the social sciences so unique because, you know, in the natural sciences, you know, if you're studying physics or biology, you're looking at chemicals under, you know, a microscope, but here you're actually studying human beings, you know, and we are also human beings, right? So I think in that sense, it is often difficult to, you know, separate us from our subjects entirely. So I'd just like to know if you have ever felt that your uh, background or identity or experiences has influenced the course of your research. Either this could be in terms of, you know, your access to information, you know, interviews, data, uh, anything at all, and, you know, and how it may have had an impact. Yeah, no, it certainly has. I mean, <laughs> I... I grew up in a deep, deep poverty class household with me plus 11 siblings. Um, and so, um, I mean, it, it's really just like, if you have 
antenna for personal background influencing the course of one's research, it's like they're probably just flashing right now because um, uh, this paper that we've been discussing is just such an obvious example of that. Um, um, yeah, so so my personal background has, has very much influenced uh, what I have felt driven to study and, and the social problems that I have felt um, driven to shed light on. And I try to make sure I'm, I'm not... I try to make sure that my agenda is simply to identify problems and identify plausible solutions to those problems rather than my agenda being to to presume that a problem exists and presume what solution is best to address it and then just find whatever means I have to to prove that yes this is this is the right way to solve it because um, I don't think it's scientific to to do that type of mental gymnastics um, I, I I still want to be very empirical I want to be open to my priors being um, proven wrong I, I want to be open to updating those priors um, um, I, I want to be scientific um, and so, um, so all that's to say, you know, I, I try to be reflexive um, about how my, my personal background, my, um, uh, my, my positions in society uh, influence the way I think and the questions I choose to answer and how I choose to answer them, while also you know, striving for as much objectivity as I can. And that is a contro controversial topic in social sciences, um, the idea of objectivity. I am well aware that perfect peer objectivity is, is unattainable. Um, but for me, that is not a good reason to just throw um, the pursuit of objectivity out the window. For sure, yeah, and um, and in that sense, you know, I think, and as I've discussed with you know a couple of um, other you know speakers on the show as well, is that you know I think such subjectivity is in fact important and even necessary, right? Because you need to have some connection to the topic, you know, or some interest in it, right, to be able to you know be doing it in the first place. Because as I'm uh, sure, you know, I think as you've already, you know, gone through like the entire, you know, like PhD, right? I mean, it's a long and it's a very, um, I mean, you require a lot of, you know, focus and attention and patience. And if it's something that you're not interested in, then there isn't really much point of doing it. So I think, you know, of course, it, it you know, it really like does make sense to be invested in it and attached to it in, in that sense. So yeah, that's about it from my end today. So thank you so much for taking out the time today, Christian. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. This was really, really fun and interesting. And I, I love that you're doing this podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. 
if you enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe or follow you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at the handle dtrrh podcast for further updates